Welcome to the Our Voice podcast, a place for our voice and yours to be heard. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021, and this is episode two of the series. On the show today, we have myself, Alex, Myron, and Nuon. We're all current students or recent graduates coming from different walks of life, here to open the floor for our thoughts and opinions on recent events. Today we've got a lot of amazing topics to talk about, but before we do that, you know, currently the COVID situation we have got going on is the new cases, we have 958 new cases, and the death currently in uh, Ontario is 17. Altogether, we're at 7,000 in Ontario up to today on death. Um, we don't, we're not going to go into more into the COVID situation because we do have some amazing topics that we want to jump into right away. Um, the first big topic that we want to talk about is the current situation that's happening in India right now. So I want everybody's opinion on what have you guys been seeing on the social media and the news about the current situation in India. I can say from experience, like on my own, I've seen like a fair amount of my friends um, making posts on social media talking about um, their experience with their grandparents being are you coming from that position where these these Punjabi farmers and other, I mean, there's farmers from literally all over India they're dealing with this situation now and it's it's disappointing to see how they're being treated by the government yeah i mean what do you guys what do you guys been seeing like have you been seeing things like that like i've been seeing the news like the way they've been treated like first of all the just the government's disrespect for farmers like these are the people who put food in your table three times a day for you to eat that rice and curry that you eat that roti you eat anything that you eat that's made out of grain these farmers put their sweat and blood into it and now they step up to this place to asking for some equal respect and um you know take care of these hard-working farmers and the government is throwing tear gas at them baton charges breaking head breaking arms like is this what we want to do to the farmers of that country no obviously not like it's it's terrible and it's disgusting to see it's police police brutality in in the worst form and um yeah man seeing pictures of it like being shared on social media it's genuinely like like what can we do what can we really do to help them from in our position it's difficult and especially seeing what the government has done i mean we've we've seen there were there were three acts that really sparked the protests the first being farmers produce trade and commerce act then there was the second as the farmers agreement on price assurance and farmer and farm services act and then the third the essential commodities act is all three of these were detrimental for the for farmers in india and they posed such a huge such a huge negative effect on literally their whole livelihood everything is destroyed and it's evident because you can see how many people and how many families have uprooted their lives just to come and block the the roads leading into delhi and they're blocking the streets and it's you can see how clearly it, it affects them this act this government by you know the bjp government because if i start talking about that political party from the beginning like i could go on forever that party is like a one of the crooked parties in india that's been caught like if you look up bjp in india they're like they've been caught in so many private business scandals and money laundering scandals this party is like a criminal party currently as of now that's what i would call them they were supposed to have these laws to, you know, hold these farmers and help them, you know, help them decide how what is the best price for them to sell those stuff they grow. And they also what what else this government provided was like they also provided investment opportunity right on their next 
product cycle like these government plans were telling them okay what do you need to plant next season what do you have to plan next season how much you should plan next season what should you expect from the next season and and they were supposed to help all this by bringing these laws they're like stepping back from that that part of job that they were doing to protect farmers now they just want to give everything they were they're pretending that they're giving all open hands to farmers because you know they could sell it in whatever price they want they think that farmers would benefit from this but actually it just backfires and the farmers are not seeing any profit because the big private companies who grow like they have the monopoly on the price of the item right they control how much they want to pay for the item but because of that the small farmers not unable to sell the pro uh, product to the price the big companies want but they're forced to sell low price to match with those big companies which in turn they're losing a lot of profit and you know this is not something that we want to see farmers especially in india farmers are like the backbone of the country and we don't want to leave them struggling and suffering like this right mm -hmm. so, so this is something that was interesting to me um when i was doing a little bit of reading into this so like i don't have any connection to the situation at all right like i'm just some pasty white guy living in canada <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 say it how it is all right but then like i was reading into this and like from my perspective and like keeping in mind that i'm you know, I don't understand the political situation, the economic situation nearly enough. And there's like a big cultural gap as well. Like to me, it like I'm unconvinced that the system that was previously in place was the right solution, right? Like it seemed to me like it was restrictive in a lot of ways that weren't helping the farmers. Like they couldn't sell outside of their, their provinces or their allocated regions. Um, and there was like, at least from some of the things I, I've, I've read, there was like some amount of um, corruption at the, uh, Myron, what, what's the acronym again for those things? The, the committees, uh, the AP, the AMPCs? AMPCs, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, and like from what I'm understanding, like a lot of profits were actually lost at that level. Now that said, I don't know if deregulation was necessarily the right thing to do. Again, like culturally, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do, but even if it was done, even if that was the right solution, like it's clearly not being done in good faith. And that's the appalling part is like the government propaganda machine going into full gear and the police brutality and like the, the disgusting things they've been saying about Punjabi farmers. And like apparently like there's Islamic radicalism with the farmers too. It's like it's like the craziest thing. It's like, whoa, I thought this was about farming. And all of a sudden it, it becomes this disgusting xenophobic movement at least from the government side am i am i missing the mark here uh, no i i see where you're coming from alex like i understand that you didn't see the plan before like the regulation that was set before the current regulation like you didn't see that the farmers were seeing a lot of benefit but the one thing that um i want to say it again that that plan provided the farmers was the constant like price match for them like if they say they could sell their 100 grams of grain for $50, the government regulated that, okay, $50 is the minimum. Nobody else can go below $50 to try to make extra profit. So because of that, all the farmers who were selling those items were able to still make a good profit because the government marginalized it as, okay, $50 is the good amount for you to still make like profit. But since now, now they, stepped out, they stepped out of that zone, they're like, okay, we're not going to control it. We're just going to give you the market control to you. You can control it. But what happens is the small farmers are unable to manipulate the market like the big farmers have because they're able to provide more, like they were able to grow big amounts. Like 
higher quality and they were able to provide to the less price but these small farmers were unable to do that and this was stopping them from making the profit those other big companies are making because they were able to give it whatever the low price they want to give it to which is not fit for the other farmers who don't have the advantage like they do yeah they they fell they fell into the trap of of falling victim to these these buyers independent buyers who are coming from a position where they can literally walk to the next stall and find an even better or competitive price versus you know how they had it set up originally where you would come to the market and see everyone would be selling at competitive prices versus this e-commerce system that they set up and and honestly seeing the families that are, are protesting out there i hardly can imagine that they would understand how to do the whole e-commerce navigation thing right like that severely kind of favors these big um, private companies that are selling the goods because they would already have that kind of know-how to get around the technological space to set up an e-commerce system. If you're just an, an individual farmer working in the fields for your family, trying to provide for, I don't know, a couple generations you've, you know, you've helped raise, how are you going to be able to adapt to the technological advancements compared to these huge industries now it's it's impossible for them it's it's gotten so difficult for them to adapt and it's hard to watch it really is but you know what the the farmers have a power currently which like the the bjp government should listen to because they should respect these farmers uh, if you think about it like um i read the stats somewhere i don't remember like 58 percent of indian population like rely on farming farming is what feeds their family farming is what sends their children to school farming is what gives them money and everything so this is a big majority in indian like these are 58 percent votes that these governments are like risking like by bringing out these new policies that are affecting them so by these these people protesting they have the majority upper hand in this because these people who are going against putting these rules one day going to come back to them for votes so I'm, I'm 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 liking what i'm seeing here the protest is good but like, are they seeing the result they have, like, they want to see? Like, is this working fast enough in their favor? Because I feel like at this some point, people are going to forget about this. So we need a resolution before people start forgetting about what's important. So that's why I'm hoping, like, these farming protests and everything, like, the government could take, like, try to understand these people. Like, these people put, because, like, if you see the news, there are some Indians who are going against their own country's farmers saying like oh the, what their government is like doing is the best option this is why these farmers can't listen why these farmers don't understand because these people don't put their self in their shoes to see what they're struggling through what they're going through these people who live in like this high five cities don't know the struggle that goes down in the village for them to grow that one kilogram of rice how much struggle they go through mm-hmm. right i remember there was this, this one there's this one thing that was going around on, on social media where Rihanna finally reacted. Not finally, but she voiced her opinions on the <laughs> the Indian farmers things. And, and all the Bollywood actors who were saying nothing, all of a sudden then just started piping up and being like, oh no, we need to support our farmers. And everyone's just calling them out, blacklisting them after Rihanna's. But you know. there were some actors who were calling some sexist names toward Rihanna. There, Rihanna was attacked by a lot of Indians. After that yeah. post she made, she was attacked. Like, this is, it's unbelievable to see, like, how, how much of a difference this makes when one person from the Western world starts talking. Like, like yeah. and I don't even think it's like a, like a position of, like, social media power or anything. Like, 
people are just trying to soak up more fame. That's why they're trying to appeal to Rihanna in that in that sense. I I can uh, at least that's what I'm gathering from it. It's yeah. just disappointing and it's ugly. It really is ugly to see. And just seeing like the government like they're shutting like full out blackout in India, right? Like it's it was hard mm-hmm. for people outside of India to get information about like what was breaking down there to like later on in the time of the protest, right? Right when they start people just knew it as oh something is happening in India. Farmers are protesting for some right. Oh, what's gonna happen? You go to bed the next morning. I wake up on the news. Farmers' heads are busting open. They're bleeding. There's riot mm-hmm. police everywhere. Tear gas firing. And I'm like, what happened? Like I went to bed. There was like a farmers protesting for like some law. Now there's like a full like all-out civil war breakdown in the Indian capital. Yeah, I'm worried about how this is gonna affect like food security for people in. India, like, the longer this goes on, like, I don't know how, whether or how farmers are keeping the production going, right? Like, at some point, like, these are literally the bread makers. Like, when is it going to start affecting people, you know? And, I like, I'm wondering, like, if the government is kind of banking on that, on, like, getting some pressure on the people so they, like, finally yield. I don't know. It's... It's just frustrating to see them not handling this in good faith and just, like, using this author- these authoritarian tactics. Well, I feel like, initially, the people who are going to suffer the most are the farmers, families, and the people who live in the, in, like, immediate vicinity of, you know, their farms. Because mm-hmm. they're already, like, most of the farmers who are affected the most are people who live on the outskirts of India. They're, I guess, if you look at it from the country's perspective, they would be weighing out the pros and cons of you know, how much they would be really affecting that area in terms of food production. Because I feel like most farmers would probably be like selling food in their local areas the most, as opposed to these larger industries who would be able to sell at a large scale to many, many independent buyers, right? Mm-hmm. So, Myron, I have a question for you. Um, because you seem yeah. to be very opinionated and, you know, uh, in the loop about what's going on. Like, do you see some sort of uh, understanding or reconciliation between the farmers and the BJP? Like, is that something that you can foresee happening? And what would it look like? You know, honestly, because like I said, the majority, the farmers have the upper hand when it comes to like votes. So they hold the majority. If the farmers all come together and stand against the government, because as of now, Modi is the president, prime minister of India or president of India, prime minister of India is currently the prime minister of India. He's part of the party called the BJP. It's like a Hindu, Hindu backed party. Like a lot of Hindu people like, like it's like a, like a religion party, like a party for the religion. So, if these farmers, like, do hold their ground, over time, these people need to come to the farmers. Because without votes in India, you can't run a party, you can't win election, you can't hold down seats. So, to get that 58% on their side, these people are going to come down to, like, trying to fix their relationship with the farmers. In due, but how long are they going to wait? Because by the time they get to that position of, like, trying to understand the farmers and giving them... Uh, what they want because they need something back from them how many farmers are going to lose their lives in this because there are going to be farmers family who are going to be unable to pay their bills Mm -hmm. can't pay their water bill can't grow their plants can't send their kids to school can't put food on their table because their life was circling around that i plant this 
I get in this month I get it, I, I get it back, I sell it to the price that the government had stated for me, I see my profit, I move on to the next cycle of what I have to grow. Now that the fact that this cycle is frozen, like they're losing so much income. These like these families live day to day on that income of how much they make on those farmlands, right? And this is this is for now it looks like a small problem, but it's gonna build up, build up, build up. Then you're mm-hmm. gonna see these farmers losing their life. Which is the last thing you want to see, the breadwinners of the country losing their lives. Because India is so reliant on farming. Like, they export so many things that they grow from spices to everything all over the world. In everybody's kitchen table, it's there. And they need this, they need something, like, only thing they ask is a government to support them in this tough situation to help them, not hurt them, but help them to, like, sell their product in a good price and they can still see the profit. Why is that seen as such a bad thing? Why do you... Like, I see the government thinks that if I give an open market, that they could see profit more than if they put a middleman. Because as of now, they think the government has a middleman, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to spend some money on the middleman and the farmers don't see profit. So they're trying to cut out the middleman. But they don't understand what that middleman did is protect those farmers who are unable to stand up against these big corporations who were able to mass produce and big like sell it in low prices. That middleman made sure that even the smaller farmer is able to sell it to the same price as that big corporation. So they both saw the same amount of profit. So there, there does need to be a change. Like There are some points in this law that are working. It's good. But they need to talk with these farmers. Like Sit with those union reps of all those farming unions and find out what things that we can change to make it better for you and for the government. We're not asking the government to give up on everything. We're just trying to find some way that you know we're happy, you're happy, we all have. So I don't know what to tell to the BJP. They just need to listen to their farmers. They should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like there is no solution without talking and hearing from either side. Especially because, I mean, no one from the outside looking in would have the answer. Because we don't know what they want. We don't know what the farmers want. Uh, obviously, like we can say, yes, they want fair prices. They want a guaranteed living. But we can't say from their perspective what their end goal is and how far they want to take it with their, you know, like with their reparations, per se. And you can say the same thing for the government's point of view. And the only way they can figure that out is by talking to each other and finding some kind of middle ground to sort this out because it it needs to end soon and it's going to be bad if it doesn't because the farmers were talking about how they were going to be protesting i believe initially they were saying they were going to protest for eight months and i feel like it's just going to keep going <laughs> yeah they have yeah. hearts uh they're they have the hearts born for it and they will not stop until something changes yeah i hope uh, an agreement is found that is favorable to all involved parties, you know, for the sake of the farmers themselves, like, you know, their income, their their physical well-being and, you know, the, the Indian people and the Indian economy. I really do hope that something that works comes out of this, but it's uh, might be wishful thinking for now, but we'll we'll see how this keeps playing on. Maybe we could move on uh, while we're on the topic of police brutality and mass protests uh move on to the coup in myanmar which is our next topic here um Nuan, could you give us a, a quick rundown basically what's happening is um we kind of saw a, i guess a little teaser of how what happens with a coup in, in an election that goes bad in america but this is clearly um, a more serious and intense example 
this is how the real people do the coup, not Trump people. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a literal military coming in and taking over the government because they didn't like the election result. So the military seized control on February 1st following the election of Miss Sue Ki. I hope I'm saying her name properly um, from the NLD party. And the military was obviously favoring the opposition, claiming widespread fraud, uh, which obviously sounds familiar. Uh, <laughs> Miss Sue Ki is under house arrest and has been charged with possessing illegal walkie-talkies. I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> what is that? So what is a walkie-talkie? Yeah, I mean, what what is that? What is that got to do with that, anything? Like, <laughs> like an actual walkie-talkie is illegal? I guess that's what that's what they're saying. They put her under house arrest. Well, that's one of the charges for her. Okay, they they have her for that. They have her for violating COVID restrictions during oh, the election. Killer campaign. right there. Put, hang on, <laughs> hang on. That's a crime. If Doug Ford was here, what would he do? <laughs> listen, listen. Everything's oh, on the God. table. Illegal walkie-talkies included. <laughs> All right. I swear. <laughs> um, Goddamn baboons. <laughs> <laughs> you got it wrong it's the gorilla it's gorilla the gorilla is hot, <laughs> um but yeah so violating covid restrictions during the election campaign publishing information deemed to cause fear or harm oh my god where have we heard this before <laughs> like, ah, propaganda right like i mean basically uh, the guy who's in power now is i man i swear i'm sorry if i mispronounce your name again min ong liang is in power and wields significant political influence maintaining that in the military even though the country's already moved towards democracy so um all right see i'm pretty excited on this topic because you know things about military coup they kind of excite me and you know <laughs> excuse me uh, yo, Myron, exciting. you good think, think about it think about it it's, it's, it's very exciting think about living in the moment that your country's government is getting taken over by military and you stand in front of a camera doing dance and your video goes viral all over TikTok. Oh well, my okay, god. Okay, okay. That did segue. not go where I thought it was going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanna be believe. I wanna be in that situation where I'm taking a selfie while there's a military coup falling apart behind my this background. Is, this is where this went. I I can't believe Okay. Yeah, what, well, I mean, yeah, he's 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 talking about the the fitness instructor, Alex. Do you want to you want to take it away? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Like when he started talking, I was like, "What is this guy saying?" He's like, "You know what I love? Military coups." Like what? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I list, like I think most of us have seen it. Everybody has seen it. Yeah. Right. You know what I love on a good Friday night, just a cold brew with the boys and a military coup. Like holy, <laughs> a coup d'état. <laughs> no, but uh, I I think most people have seen it. But in case you haven't, you can look it up. It was this lady that was uh, filming her dance fitness routine uh, in front of, I suppose, was an official government building, maybe the the house or some or somewhat. And yeah, so she's filming her her fitness video, and then the tanks, the the vehicle. Not, I don't think there were tanks actually. A bunch of but the boys vehicles start up. rolling in. Yeah, a bunch <laughs> the, of military the vehicles boys. start. Yeah, the boys roll in, and she just doesn't bat an eye and just keeps going with the dance routine and meanwhile you can literally see the army moving in <laughs> to an official government government building to overthrow it was the parliament that, that's what it was because they were about to start the new uh the, the latest session 
Holy shit. And, and that was that. But okay. That's, that's the kind of concentration I need in my exams, bro. That's some fam. <laughs> yeah, she's... I, I have she... a panic attack if someone sneezes behind me. Like, I can't handle. That's wild. But, okay, the, the thing that was really weird to me reading all this is that it's, it's like, kind of... To me, it seems a lot more black and white than, like, a lot of the similar situations that we hear going on. Like, the military in 2011 was like, all right, fine, you can have democracy, here you go. And then, like, a few year- years later, they're like, wait, no, not like that. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like, it was the, the, the weirdest thing where, like, someone was democratically elected and they took all these clown reasons to to put her under arrest right the illegal walkie-talkie which was like against the import restrictions and then violating covid restrictions during the election campaign like okay sure like if you want to like condemn someone and like give them some repercussions for that sure but it's like such an obvious scapegoat just to take control of the government again and now people are protesting and there has been a lot of mortalities. I think the latest number as of today was uh, 38, if memory serves right. I will double check that right now, actually. Yeah, it was. I, I had a look at it today as well, too. It's, it's not looking too great. Yeah. The UN stated that their latest one-day protester death total was uh, 38. So where are the people on this? Did they hate the ruling government? Did they with the military or with the government? Well, obviously they wanted, I mean, the people elected democratically, Su Kyi, right? Yes, yeah. that's her name, Su Kyi. So they're obviously not happy about the military takeover. They were pr- protesting in... Um, they're protesting the coup. They're protesting the coup. And uh, really getting out there, like the police had to impose restrictions, curfews, and they were actually genuinely forcing to use uh, water cannons, rubber bullets, and actual live ammo to disperse crowds. So it was the military who's not happy with the election. Basically, yeah. Oh. Yeah, like the currently elected party. And and just for, for the record, uh, Suki is actually, she's not the president. She's actually the minister of foreign affairs, but she's the de facto leader of the movement. Like she's really the face of it. And like th- that party, the NLD party, won by like, landslide i think it was an 86 percent yeah it wasn't um, even close yeah 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 no it it was it was like they destroyed the opposition but the military has been pretty vocally in favor of the opposition for some time Mm -hmm. and they just said no uh the election was fraudulent uh and to me the irony is here they're saying uh you know she said things to cause fear and harm and now they're literally shooting at their own people yeah yeah and it's I just I just don't even understand the like except just for power just for um that general wanting power I don't understand like why you would do this like everybody's sanctioning it too right like everybody's calling this like absolutely abhorrent and the UN is saying like no 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 like there was only like the the Security Council that didn't actually say anything because China vetoed the statement but everyone else around the world has been saying this is not okay. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's 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 wild, man. And his his response, his response, he, he said that he was on the side of the people and would form a true and disciplined democracy. You know, the, you know, the perfect democracy is always designed and created by people who want certain things. We will instill our peaceful ways exactly. by force. Yeah. Like what kind of <laughs> democracy? Where are you going with this? This is like... 
it's so twisted oh, and manipulative it's it's genuinely like wow you were right it's so much more black and white compared to what we saw in the 2020 election of america like you can see that was much more of a tighter race and then here it's like a whitewash mm-hmm pretty crazy and what's been concerning to me has been the freedom of the press because there have been um some attacks and arrests on journalists last i know the number of arrested journalists is currently sitting at five uh one of them being from the associated press which is just you know it's like killing a medic an unarmed medic in a war it's like you, you can't uh, do that that's a that's a no yeah. no that's a no no you don't like it unfortunately happens sometimes as as in this case but it's just completely unacceptable and it's not like they can keep this secret. It's all over the place. It's all over Reddit. It's all over the news outlet already. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, they're just adding oil to the fire. They're just adding ammunition to 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 their opponents. And there there's just really no way to to justify that behavior from from the authorities. Yeah. And where do they even go from here? Like like what's the end goal? You mentioned it before. Like what are they trying to accomplish from this? This is already a mil- a person in a really high seat of power in the military already. What more could he want? Like, what what does he fear that's going to happen once the government is slowly led towards democracy? What is there like that's going to go wrong? But what is there to lead to democracy? There's no more democracy the moment the other person took power because the democracy chose the other side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I was going to say something to that that effect. Like, they've essentially achieved what they want, which is an authoritarian dictatorship. And now they're tr- like, I think. If people settle down and stop protesting and international attention dies down, like it's just going to be another dictatorship that's just going to thrive. Because there's no other motive that I can think of right now why you would want to do this internally or externally, right? So it's just a thing of power. It's just a thing of good old human nature. So even if they're going to be holding on to the democracy flag, so the next election comes... They'll have another opposition party, right, against them. And if all the people vote for them, you think another coup is going to happen? Bro, you think there's even going to be another election? As if there's going to oh, be, an think o- be another Bro, election? as if there's going to be an election or an opposition. Who knows at this point? Like, it's... Well, you're, just tell- you're telling me they're trying to instill democracy. So how are they going to do democracy without an election? Bro, if they're going to impose or create their own true and fair disciplined democracy there's not gonna be two sides there's just gonna be one voice Uh, and i mean the military was the military was in power for uh what 50 years like they they started in the early 60s and gave way to a democratic system in 2011 now this was like planned right like because because like there were a a lot of tumultuous situations going on with uh what was formerly burma and the end goal was to instill democracy which they did after a long time and democracies do take time right but now uh, like i think they're fall like they're seizing power again under the same guise they're saying no 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 we're gonna show you how to really do this democracy thing which ironically is is the opposite is the opposite of democracy um Mm -hmm. and now people people are being hurt because of it right like people are rightfully revolting and going in these streets and uh i've seen a few videos uh, floating around on reddit of people holding up like pieces of plastic against police officers or army uh, personnel in riot gear, and they're pushing back, right? But unfortunately, some people are dying because of this. And I, I, I don't foresee a resolution without more violence, unfortunately. 
For the record, I am not advocating violence. I'm just saying more people are going to get hurt, just for the record. So yeah, it's pretty upsetting to see like how the the military really, which is now the, the authority, has been handling this whole thing, um, beating down on civilians, uh, shooting at them with live ammo, which has caused, uh, we said, 38 deaths so far, and we're going to see some more. And, you know, cutting off access to information, which like makes me really appreciate the internet and all that because they've been cutting off electricity enforcing curfews cutting off the internet man we 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 really got to appreciate the freedom we have in north america man yeah it just makes you see it in a different view when you see freedom fall apart in another country right (laughs) yeah like imagine in an alternate universe where the american military decided to back up the coup the pitiful attempt of a coup that we saw and like it was essentially A Republican dictatorship, right? Like that's probably what the countries around uh, Myanmar are, are feeling right now, right? Bangladesh and uh, Thailand, um, but they held back from commenting. They're saying that's an internal matter and they're going to deal with it because you don't want to mess with a military dictatorship. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I mean, I would also, I would rather, you know, stay away. <laughs> I would just keep everything that's happening at arm's length. And I mean, I wouldn't fault any of the countries for doing that because i mean you'd very much just want to keep yourself as far away from that situation as possible but we all still know what happens when we don't stand up against a military dictator we've learned it many times yeah it's easy to say for us sitting here recording a podcast in our comfortable homes (laughs) and and nice microphones but i do agree and like i commend the courage of the people of myanmar for going out there and facing a terrifying party that's taken power you know i don't know if i would have the courage honestly you know like it's it's like i've lived such a cozy life up here in canada that like i can't even imagine like having to do that right but you know good good for them for standing up and man i hope i i hope international pressure is able to to turn things around because like this is not okay man as uh, as the un said um david something he said uh that you know this is a big step back in the installment of democracy in, in Myanmar and you know stating the obvious I suppose but he's right yeah it's terrifying to think about like as you said this was imagine in the states if this was the actual military that was taking over um charging into the U.S. capital right um as a people you would be terrified to step out into the streets to voice your opinion I mean think about the Black Lives Matter movement Anyone who was a, a person of color was already terrified to step out into the streets before anything happened. Like, just because. That's the default, right? Like, you're born with this. you got to live with it. That's it. After finding out that your country's been taken over by the military and you are not okay with that, I, I can't imagine how terrifying it is to be living in that situation right now. And I, I can only tip my hat and pray for the people who have lost their lives in this battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as we're talking about this tough topic, um, we also need to see what's happening the other side of the communist world. Um, you know, what's happening in China. Uh, anybody want to open up about that topic? I'll, I'll open up to continue the absolutely depressing episode we've had so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're of course talking about the, the Uyghur Muslims in China, which are pretty evidently uh, suffering from a genocide right now, quite frankly. That's that's what it is. The government of Canada has declared it so, although Trudeau didn't, didn't vote on that. 
I'll leave it at that. And more and more international, uh, well, countries and international entities are, are calling this out. Um, and it's absolutely abhorrent. Uh, China is obviously denying anything and they're calling them re-education camps, which is absolutely absurd. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. But yeah, man, like these awful reports of uh, sterilization, rape, uh, like systemic rape, uh, you know, they're separating children from families, uh, torture all across the board. Like, what is the reason for this? And the Uyghur region has been politically difficult for some time and culturally somewhat separated from China. Um, it's often pointed out that it's closer to Baghdad than it is to Beijing. But that does not justify what's happening right now. So I'm kind of going on on like my own little rant right now. And I'll, I'll ask your input in a second. But the last thing I'm going to say is that there have been uh, Uyghur terrorist attacks. Uh, like there was a bus bomb in 97. And that just further soured the political relations between the Uyghur region and the rest of China. But again, like how, how does this justify quote-unquote, re-educating people in such a horrifying fashion, and why can't we do anything about it? We've gone through this. Listen, like, everybody's thinking about it. The Holocaust, the poor Jewish people who were slaughtered in the gas chambers. Why is this happening again? How come we haven't learned our lesson? Like, I don't know if we can say how can we have not learned our lesson. I mean, there's clearly certain groups of people who haven't, and I mean... You can't pin that on the whole of the country. There's a unrest amongst the ruling party, and they clearly do not agree with whatever the Uyghur Muslims have are doing. I mean, it's sad to say, but it's clearly just their existence that is upsetting them. And this is the fallout of that. And it's horrifying to see. It really is horrifying because nobody wants this to happen to anybody. And we've seen it so many times before. Re-education camps, we had something similar here in Canada with the indigenous people living in the country before the settlers have come over. But like, it's a sad thing of history repeating itself over again. And, and in, that, in that vein, there's a question that has been brought up about the... Um, Beijing 2022 Olympics. I just thought I'd bring this up to you guys because I feel like it's something important that we should talk about. Do you think that the Olympics should be held in a country with an ongoing genocide? No. I Absolutely say no. not. Absolutely, Absolutely not. not. They're not allowed to make any profit out of this Olympic situation when this type of thing is going in their country. No way. I know it sounds like an obvious question because it's, it's such a clear answer. Nobody wants that to happen. But this has happened before. In history, it's happened before. The Olympics were held in Germany. I believe it was, ah, I think it was three years after some, it, it had started with the Jews. And the Olympics were held. And then I can't remember exactly how long after, but war was declared. And do we want to make the same mistake again, is what I'm saying. And, and, and how many times we're going to keep doing it to the point where we actually learn from our mistakes. And like the things that's happening, the news like religious leaders getting arrested, religious figures being detained, you know, they're, um, the Muslim symmetry is being shut down. Those Muslim families are forced, like 
the government gives them an opportunity to have less children they tell them to have less children to get better benefits from the government they're not allowed to have children to get better benefit like these are very bold bright red warning signs of like what happened in past they're putting a restructure to this whole community like religion this whole group of people with so many red banners everywhere and why are people having a hard time like to see this big red warning signs going on because if we exactly know what happened to all, all the Jews during that time like same thing that's happening here happened to them like systematic rape physical mental sexual torture they're getting tortured through this how come people are not standing up for them all this government stood against Hitler when he was doing um you know what he did to the Jews but why are they not standing up against this big Chinese government and stand their ground against them Okay, I, I really want to I really want to touch on this one because it, it hits a special string for me. So two things. Number one, we didn't really stand up to Hitler at the start. The concentration camps were discovered fairly late in the war, and only then it was so atrocious. And they were like, it was such an easy propaganda. Well, it was obviously horrendous, but it was also like such a golden opportunity for propaganda, where it's just like. Hey, look at all these horrible things that the Nazi party is doing. And rightfully, because it was absolutely disgusting and horrendous. But that's why it got so much movement. It's because there was a strong political reason to go after that. But I'm not convinced that if the war had been there, that things would have played out the same. And this is why... This part, th this topic is so upsetting to me. Like, I've done some research on the farmers and uh, on the Myanmar coup, but this one, the Uyghur genocide, was really upsetting to me because th there's such an element of powerlessness to it. The farmers are standing up in protest against their government. They're they're trying to better the, like their situation. Likewise for Myanmar. They're losing their democracy, and they're like, no, that's not going to stand with us. These poor Uyghur Muslims are just taken by force into these camps, sexually, physically, and psychologically tortured. And I feel for that. And not only that, but because China is such a global political and economic power, it's so hard to do anything about it. No one wants to say anything about it. Well, that's not true. People have people have started saying things about it. But like my my greatest fear is that people are just going to keep saying, "Yes, we condemn the genocide going on in China." And then in 10 years we're going to say, "Remember the people of uh Uyghur, the the Uyghur Muslims? Yeah, we could have done something about that, but we didn't." And this is where my pessimism kind of comes in, like, "Man, I just I'm I'm really not seeing the light with this one." And it fucking sucks. I wanted to say as well, like you mentioned um in the first and second world wars i mean other countries were very slow to move on anything they were very slow to make any kind of action against the perpetrators of world war one and world war two i don't see this being any different just because as you mentioned again china is such a huge like global powerhouse they have a large portion of the world's nukes i believe and it's, I mean, anyone who talks out against them and says that you, what you're doing is wrong and we want to, we want to change that, you're public enemy number one in China's eyes. And it's, it becomes a lot harder <laughs> for you to do really anything or to make any kind of change. 
And as as you as you mentioned, I kind of agree. It's it's hard to see how things will get better from here unless you know, like the UN takes a long time to move forward with these kind of things as well. But they had also meant they had also put out a statement saying that it is a genocide as well. I believe that that they put out the statement recently too, within the last month. So it's more likely that we see people say stuff about it now. But I mean, here's hoping. Um, see, I'm from a country that has seen these type of genocide, like um, Tamil people struggling in there, you know, fight against the Sinhalese government. And they, I've, I've been in a country where I've seen these type of warning red sign and how they affect people and how does it affect the country. And it's tough to see, like I'm reading, like I can't, as I'm reading this, I'm having a hard time t- to see that. I've, knew, I've, I've known that people can be bad, but this terrible is just, it's just very sad to see like, like forcing that they're forcefully like ha- making these women from this uh, Muslim community have relationship with other Chinese men who who are not following the same belief as them, trying to like you know ruin their bloodline and and you know ruin their future, ruin their future culture and them growing in their culture and it's just very sad to see and I hope the world government needs to step in faster than I they they should. Yeah, I I wish there was something that we could do to just raise awareness about this. Like, I feel like every single issue that we could talk about, we'll say, yeah, we can raise awareness about this. But like, yeah, man, this is not okay. I don't know, man. Um, there's this uh, great website um, called the Kijintian Data Project. Uh, we're going to post it on our socials. But if you want to learn more about like the, the specifics of these camps, like it's, it's a pretty comprehensive um, source of information. Just plugging that right here very detailed and you know makes you see what what's actually happening there and helps you understand it much better i recommend that read it was actually good for the couple of minutes i was reading it and it was very detailed and informative mm-hmm. and for our socials that's at the ov pod uh, on instagram yeah we're gonna we were planning on putting some fancy stuff in there you know you guys could expect some clips and you know things we talk about we'll keep updating on our social media you guys could keep track of us and track of what we're talking about. And if you stuck with us all the way to the end of the episode, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, I know it's a hard topic to discuss and it's a hard topic to to listen to and, and think about, but it's it's so important to talk about these things uh, so as they, they don't get buried uh, in the noise of everything that's going on um, around the world in our lives and so on. So... Thanks for sticking with us through the end. I know this was a tough one. Keep wearing your masks. Keep washing your hands. Bye-bye. And I wish everyone a very good day. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. How was that? That was fucking cringe, bro. Oh, dead. Oh, my God. You should keep this last clip in. Like, us just dying of laughter. Like, I, I like how we just finished talking about literal genocide. This guy's like, bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good. <laughs>